for me, as a 10-year practitioner of category management, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours building store planograms and, and trying to take insights and make an actionable plan out of it. To have a tool like Ivory's Curate that can take an insight and give you an executable result in a matter of minutes instead of weeks or months, it really does just feel like it's the future of category management. Well, hello there. This is Milena, and welcome to another episode of Retail Mavericks Podcast. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Hyvery, a pioneer of hyperlocal retailing. Our guest today is Steven Soderlund. Steven is an analytical consultant at Hyvery with track record in category management industry of over 10 years. Steven is also a CMA board advisor. Category Management Association, or CMA, is a professional association with a mission to help shopper insights and category management professionals worldwide to win with shoppers by developing processes and standardized documents for the industry. Steven has served as an advisor for the development of Catman 3.0, which is currently being released chapter by chapter, and which incorporates new questions and changes that came with the development of Omnichannel World. So without any further ado, we'll dive right in with Steven talking about the major changes between Catman 3.0 and 2.0. It's really not so much that the process changes in that we're still right we're still developing insights and, and capturing as much information about our shoppers and categories as we can we're executing a plan we're measuring that plan we're revising and continuing that cycle right but really what has changed is this full integration of the omnichannel mentality into that process how we measure learn and change as, as we continue through it so Thinking about things like yesterday, you know, when we were determining how much shelf space a, a given product might take up in a store, that process might be as simple for some organizations, might be as simple as looking at the sales of the item in that store and assigning an appropriate amount of space. Uh, but in a world where, I mean, online sales have grown to 15, 20% overnight in, in a lot of categories in the United States from, you know, four or 5% in some cases. So now I have a, a retail shelf that I not only need to sort based on what is happening in the brick and mortar space and what the shoppers who are walking the store want to see, but I also need to utilize that space to, to fulfill online orders in the case of a lot of retailers that are us, utilizing that shelf space for same day or next day shipping for curbside delivery and everything else that's connected to that. And there's also a lot of, uh, supply chain constraints and things that have uh, that have cropped up as a result of of all of the disruption in retail uh, in the last couple of years. So if you were to review 3.0, what you'll see is a much more robust list of, of metrics that category managers are urged to use when measuring category performance. What you'll also see is a lot of discussion around how we're defining the categories. For example, a shopper who uh, let's just use the, the candy category as an example. A shopper who's shopping a, a Walmart door and walking down the candy aisle might have a different purchase behavior. They might have a different decision set than they would have if they were shopping online. 
And then of course, there's everything in between that as well, right? I might be looking for products online and looking to find them in store. So all of these, all of these experiences for the shopper need to work together. They need to talk to each other. They, and the wealth of insights that comes from all of that shopper behavior that we can measure should lead to better execution on shelf for merchants and category managers and everybody else who's involved with it. So Stephen, if you were to highlight key points regarding the impact that e-commerce and omni-channels have had on the decisions that category managers have to make today, what would they be? The growth of, of omni-channel and all omni-channel is, is just a term to encapsulate all of the different channels that, that a retailer might sell in. So the growth of e-commerce, which has turned it into an omni-channel environment, it's an opportunity for these categories to continue to grow and to meet shopper needs uh, in a different way. But it also creates a really undue amount of complexity for category management. Not only do I have more data than I've ever had to scrub through, right? I need to understand not just how many units moved through a uh, dollar general door of this product. I also need to know how many of those products were sold through click and collect. How many of those products were shipped to the consumer's home? How many of them were actually physically picked up off the shelf? Because all of that shopper behavior is measurable. And if it's measurable, it's actionable. I want to take as much data in as I can to make the most intelligent actions and decisions in the category that I can as well. I think one of the other things that it does is create some complexity for what we might call a category decision tree. So category decision trees and category management are really a hallmark in, in trying to understand shopper behavior, really how they organize the category, right? It might be in the candy category. Again, it might, it might be, you know, I have a shopper who's looking for candy, um, but they're either looking for chocolates or they're looking for hard candies. Okay, they're looking for chocolates. Okay, within chocolate, they want nuts, they don't want nuts, right? And this can vary from category to category, but I think what we're finding as practitioners of category management is that that decision tree um, and how shoppers think about shopping can vary not only depending on the category, but depending on the retailer, not only depending on the retailer, but depending on the channel through which they're shopping that retailer. The way that we need to organize our categories may be different in store than it is online because a shopper, quite frankly, might be expecting to see different results depending on how they're wanting to shop it. And in the end, you know, the goal of all of these exercises is, is category management is really to, to put that shopper first. It's to, to ensure that what the shopper is out there looking for, what they desire, what they need, what would make their life better, easier, um, that they're able to find it. Because ultimately that's going to, to result in growing sales, happy consumers, happy retailers. Stephen, I would love to hear your take on what should a retailer do differently on shelf in this omni-channel world? It's not as obvious as, as we would like to think sometimes. It's not as simple as my consumers in this market are looking for Budweiser, so let's put Budweiser in front of them. It's much more complex and it leads into things like how does this decision on shelf affect the entirety of my supply chain as well as my ability to fulfill to guests in any different method that they might choose to have their purchase fulfilled through. One of the things that, that wasn't really in the consideration even three years ago at many retailers was this online order fulfilled through store question. 
how much of my shelf space in a world where 20% of sales are, are online sales and some percentage of that is order online and pick up in store or very fast delivery that's fulfilled from the shelf, I no longer can rely on simply what did I sell at the register in the store to inform, okay, how much of this product do I need on the shelf? Because when products are being pulled off that shelf, it's going to negatively impact my, my how much is displayed, my inventory levels on shelf for everybody else. If I'm not able to fulfill quickly through the, that store, store space, that's going to negatively impact my online consumer's experience. So it's really about how do we pull in all of the relevant data points as a category management function, pull in all of the relevant data points and make decisions that are inclusive of the entire omni-channel experience, not segmenting it out into, okay, here is my e-commerce strategy. Okay, here is my brick and mortar strategy. It needs to be inclusive. So one of the outstanding questions in the second edition of Catman is how do we define category in a store and how does it need to be further developed in the current world? Can you shed some light on the progress of defining these terms? Typically, what I would see for categories would be, would be one category definition. A candy or soda category, this is a convenience or an impulse category. So a merchant or a retailer is going to display it accordingly. Um, they're going to direct the consumer to it accordingly. Laundry detergent is a uh, routine purchase. It's a needs-based purchase. However, a retailer is going to define it, and that's what it is. So whether I'm selling online or selling in store or wherever the, cons- wherever the shopper is finding me, I'm building my strategy around one category definition that I've, that I've built as a, a strategy builder. I think the thing that 3.0 is trying to accomplish and that I was part of helping to inform and in trying to incorporate in my own category management practices is being more nuanced. A candy purchase may be a impulse purchase in store, but that category needs to change in, in the way it presents itself altogether to a consumer who's, who's shopping online. That might be a very, very basic example, but even if I were to switch it to the example of, of laundry detergent, where I might know that my shopper my, or my consumer is arriving at the store you know, on average every eight weeks to buy their, their new supply of laundry detergent. It is a, a routine purchase. It's a needs-based purchase. They buy it when they run out. And I'm building my category based on those insights about the consumer, right? I want to make sure that the brands that they're looking for and the product that they're accustomed to and always used to is front and center. They find it easy. I don't disrupt the category much. They want to get in and they want to get out, move on with their life. Uh, for a consumer who's shopping online, that decision tree, that mentality of the shopper might be different. They might be more interested in some experiential products in laundry detergent. They might be interested in shopping by scent. They might be interested in finding new brands. And they might be more interested in naturals or organics or other benefits that traditional laundry detergents don't offer. So that may be true. That may be not true. But I think it we owe it to ourselves in this line of work where people that are striving after insights and trying to chase after the shopper obsessively and meet their needs. I think we owe it to ourselves to understand what those differences might be to do our best to measure them, and then to enact unique strategies to to address them. 
Stephen, can you elaborate more on the types of shopper insights that need to be gathered in addition to what retailers have been gathering in the pre-pandemic world? In contrast to today, uh, I might not have said this at the time, but shoppers were very, very predictable in their behavior and where they shopped and when they shopped and how they shopped. Again, I probably wouldn't have said that a few years ago, but in contrast with today, when we're seeing meteoric climbs of online shopping behaviors, massive out-of-stocks on some products, and we're seeing when the rubber meets the road, what will that consumer actually trade to and purchase instead of the product that's out of stock? There's all kinds of questions that need to be answered. And I think what a process of category management needs to define is what are the types of shopper insights that you need to gather? And I think what we've identified as the types of insights that need to be gathered are fully inclusive, right? Fully inclusive of the online experience, the in-store experience, wherever a retailer or a manufacturer for that matter is meeting a shopper, we need to understand uh, what the shopper is looking for, where they're looking for it, how they want it. And we need to find a way to meet those, those needs. So in the process of collecting these shopper insights, I can only imagine the volume of data retailer will be collecting. Can you tell me about some solutions available on the market that a retailer can utilize to be able to not only process, but also integrate these insights through actionable recommendations? There are the um, tried and true big data companies like Nielsen and IRI that are, are generating a lot of a lot of syndicated data, they work with panel data, and there are plenty of other companies that are doing similar things. I've seen more and more companies working more in the e-commerce space with things like Clickstream uh, data connect or data collecting. There's a lot of data out there. And I think what what I'm finding, and certainly other colleagues of mine in the industry are finding as well, is this tendency to be overly inundated with tons and tons of sources of data. And I could spend all day, every day training on new tools and learning new ways to to gather this data because there's more than I'll ever look at in my lifetime. But we find ourselves really drowning in it. And I think the the hard part of the task is taking all of that data and, and doing the part of the exercise that really matters and building the story and building an insight. And not just an insight, but an actionable insight. I might have all the data that I need that tells me some of my stores have shoppers that prefer Pepsi. Some of my stores have shoppers that prefer Coke. But when I'm trying to analyze that across $30,000 generals across the United States, and these stores fall in rural communities, urban communities, suburban communities, they're big, they're small, they're somewhere in between. The amount of manpower that it takes to do that well and then to determine, okay, what is the assortment, right? What is the actionable part of this actionable insight? What is the assortment that I'm going to put into each and every one of these stores in order to maximize the benefit that I'm getting from this insight that I was able to generate? I find all too often, we don't get quite to that point, right? We get to the soundbite of, yeah, some of your consumers like Pepsi, some of them like Coke, but there's all of that legwork to get into store level assortments and regional segmentation that actually matters. I think that's the big task for category management now and going forward is is finding the ways to efficiently 
um, and accurately compile these massive amounts of data and to get past the insight and into action. Stephen, can you tell me about the solution that Hybrid has, Hybrid Curate? I tell former colleagues of mine, you know, in my four months with Hybrid, I've been able to get more value out of data than at any other point in my career. So I really do think we're doing fantastic things in utilizing artificial intelligence to manage massive amounts of data and to get a really high amount of value out of it. But not only we don't stop there in building a sales forecast, we don't stop there. We take it all the way to the store level, all the way to the assortment level and give you an actionable plan. For me, as a 10-year practitioner of category management, I've spent hundreds and hundreds of hours building store planograms and, and trying to take insights and make an actionable plan out of it. To have a tool like Hybrid's Curate that can take an insight and give you an executable result in a matter of minutes instead of weeks or months, it really does just feel like it's the future of category management. Melina, a lot of the companies that I've worked with in, in the data space and in insights generation, a lot of them just do not get you into the realm of executable. There's plenty of companies that can tell me industry trends or consumer trends for my products. But at the end of the day, an insight is just an insight and a soundbite is just a soundbite until I can actually bring it to the store level and put it on the shelf. That's, that's where all the work falls. So. so in simple terms from the user perspective, can you explain how Hyvary Curate works? Imagine I'm a retailer who has never seen the solution before. What would be my experience? A Hyvary solution called Curate. So it is an artificial intelligence enabled assortment and space optimization tool. What it does is we take in a large amount of retailer data. It is a lot of data, but it is not particularly complex data. It's essentially your POS data from all the stores and from all the items. AI looks at that data and it makes predictions. It's as simple as that. It's making predictions about what products do in various environments. The end result is that I can go into Hyvary's Curate and ask the AI, hey, if I were to take out these five items, what would happen to my category? Or I can ask the AI, what new five items should I be adding in? What is my optimal assortment given, given all of the information, all the predictions that you've been able to make? And the value in that is not only just leaving it up to a machine to make my assortment decisions. The real value as I see it is being able to take all of this work that we've done in category management of insights generation and segmenting my shoppers or my consumers in, in various groups. And I have all this information about how we want to market to these different demographics and these different regions of the United States. I have very few quick and easy ways to test hypotheses in this industry. More often than not, when you have a, an insight that you want to execute against, your best bet at testing whether or not it makes sense is doing an in-store test, which means shipping products, setting stores with a unique set, all kinds of retail disruption. Other than that, it's, it's, uh, it would be me sitting in front of Excel making, making my best guess based on the math that's available to me. But having a the power of AI really generate 
sophisticated predictions based on a number of different criteria and scenarios that I want to look at and might potentially want to execute, having that as a tool in my tool belt to, to help me build better action plans um, is, is really, really powerful. Stephen, in the industry that has relied so much on the manpower and human decision-making to this day, I imagine it's hard for stakeholders to trust the machines to offer them predictions. I'm sure they have concerns about the accuracy of those predictions as well. So I would love to hear from you. Should they be concerned and how much can they rely on the accuracy of these predictions? So first off, they should not be concerned. They should be excited. Every category manager that I know spends far too much time doing manual tasks, which isn't something that I don't think most of us got in this industry to manage dashboards and update sales forecasts or anything of that nature. I think most of us got into this line of work because we love people, we love telling stories, we love insights generation, and we enjoy that pursuit of finding the shopper and what makes them tick and uh, what's going to help them fill that basket better. So I would say, don't be worried, be excited because artificial intelligence and what Curate's doing here with with uh, really sophisticated data analytics, this is the way of the future. And this is how we're going to get out from behind uh, a uh, space planning software, <laughs> building story level planograms or trying to decide what the assortment is going to look like in every single modular that I'm building this reset. And I only have two weeks and I'm staying up late at night and missing time with the family. That's not the stuff that any of us like to do. That's not what drives most of us. Be excited about it. And as far as being confident in an algorithm, it's just math. That's what I'd say about it. It's just math. We're using, in some cases, really simple, sometimes a little bit more complex math, just in building a building assortment and building category management strategy in the old world. We're pretty comfortable relying on simple algorithms that we understand. But I'll tell you what, I am not a mathematician. I am not a data scientist. We have data scientists who work at Ivory and know a lot more about this stuff than I do. But me, not a mathematician, not a scientist. I came out with a psychology degree at a college and I really just fell in love with Shopper Insights. I'm able to understand it enough that I trust it, and I think uh, others can and should too. So, Stephen, in your opinion, what would the role of a category manager evolve into with the increased adaptation of solutions such as Hybrid Curate that do all that labor-intensive work? I think what category management should evolve into, and this is going to be a path that's going to be led not only by tools like Hybrid Curate, but by other technological advances in the industry, I think getting category management out from behind an Excel spreadsheet, trying to validate numbers and data and build dashboards and getting them in front of people, getting them in front of customers, retailers, get them building strategy, get them hypothesizing, get them storytelling, telling, get them, uh, get them doing the fun stuff um, because that's what humans are really, really good at. Humans are really good at creativity. They're really good at storytelling. Machines, artificial intelligence, it's not so good with creativity and storytelling, but it's really good at doing a lot of complex algorithms very, very fast and doing 
a lot of complex algorithms that are outside the scope of what human hands could do in any reasonable amount of time. So in this world that I think we all hope arrives, and in some cases has arrived, we'll let machines do what machines are really good at, and we'll let humans do what humans are really good at. Stephen, can you tell me a little bit about what retailers and manufacturers have changed about themselves since the pandemic that has ensured their success? And what else should and could they change? So I will give credit to the retailers. The retailers, I think, have done the right thing and they've chased after the shopper in the months since the beginning of 2020 and all the craziness that came with that. We had shoppers who no longer wanted to be in stores. As we talked about previously, you know, the online sales trends have skyrocketed. But I think something new for 2020 is instead of a small smattering of stores that offered curbside pickup, they weren't really pushing it. You know, Amazon was starting to trend towards tighter and tighter shipping periods for products, but not a lot of retailers were offering same day or two day shipping, next day shipping, what have you. It wasn't a huge priority for them. For the most part, it was four to 8% sales online for a lot of the big US retailers. So it's something they knew was growing and they knew they needed to invest in for the future, but it wasn't on the forefront. But boy, it came on the forefront very, very fast. And we saw most of the major players in the US very shortly start offering new services. We saw tons of curbside pickup. We saw shipping windows closing to the point where I can, if I have a recipe and I want to make a dinner tonight and I'm missing an ingredient, I can get a Walmart or a Target to get it to my doorstep by dinner in some cases. So really meeting the shopper where they're at, I think retailers have done really, really well with that. Its own host of challenges. All of these things cost money. Retailers naturally relied on the manufacturing community to fund these activities. It costs a lot more money to uh, ship a bag of uh, salt to somebody's home than it does for them to come and pick up that 50-pound bag of salt from the store. So somebody has to foot the bill. Along with that, when you have changing product preferences of shoppers and puts a lot of strain on the supply chain. So stuff was going out of stock. Manufacturers are seeing increased costs. So I think going forward, hopefully the environment doesn't change so rapidly that we're not ready for that amount of change. But there's going to be an increasing or continuing rather, there's going to be a continuing balancing act uh, between the manufacturers and the retailers, between this, the shopper need and what's actually feasible. I think in some cases, some retailers and and, uh, manufacturers in the community panicked and kind of offered the moon to consumers. I think it created an imbalance. So (laughs) you can't sell things online that don't make you money because you're spending too much to ship it. You need to balance what you're making available through what fulfillment methods to a consumer, and you need to do it thoughtfully. And you know what? Some of those decisions may impact what your overall assortment looks like in the future. So if I'm going to assign a continually increasing importance of my online orders in any given category going forward into the future, my in-store shelf very well may reflect what I can profitably sell to consumers through any given fulfillment method, because I want that relationship with my customer to be seamless and as not confusing as possible, right? Right now, even today, I'll say when I'm when I'm shopping online, a lot of these sites, if I wanted something shipped to my home, it can be confusing. Melina, maybe you've seen the same, but sometimes it's 
well, this product I can get in a two-day shipping window, but this one's going to take a week. Oh, this one has same-day shipping available. So if I'm building a basket, I have a really disjointed experience when I'm adding products to that basket because I have different prices, uh, there's subscriptions that they're trying to push on me, there's different shipping windows. I think creating a further degree of seamlessness in, in that omnichannel environment in terms of how the shopper is able to interact, I, I think is going to be of great benefit to to retailers and manufacturers in the future. Stephen, can you clarify for me, with Hybrid Curate prescribing planograms, how does it do that and relate to omni-channels and online space? With Hybrid Curate providing an optimized planogram and assortment output for stores, in terms of how that relates to an omni-channel or an online space for those stores, in the cases where a store does fulfill online sales from the store shelf, that is definitely something that Hybrid's Curate can incorporate into its recommendations. So all that that would look like would be when I'm showing the AI what my current sales velocities are in that store, I'm going to include all of the sales velocities for products that I've sold online and fulfilled through those shelves. And what that's going to do for me is I'm going to create and appropriate the proper amount of space for any given product, brand, category, the most appropriate amount of space that AI can find, given not only my in-store shopping behavior, but also how much product do I need to fulfill to consumers. So the next step of that is really where human intervention may come into play. So as a category manager, I'm going to come in with my creative human brain. I'm leaving all the algorithms and calculations to AI. But I'm going to come in with my brain and I'm going to come in with insights such as, well, I know this given product sells better online than it does in store. I might sub-optimize shelf placement or you know how pretty this looks on the planogram because I know it's just getting picked from the shelf, put into a bag and delivered to a door. However, these products, I want to have the eye-level billboard because this is much more important for my consumers who are walking the shelves. So there are all sorts of different creative adjustments or constraints that you can build in to let curate optimize around and still end up with the most optimal mathematically speaking the most optimal outcome that that you can get but it frees up my time it frees up my creative energy to come up with some of those scenarios some of those insights that might make my uh, outcome make my strategy a little bit better Stephen, you've mentioned earlier that artificial intelligence relies on existing POS data to make predictions and recommendations. So how does it do with integration of a newly developed product? We can definitely handle new products. And what we do is we assign it a sister item, uh, similar to how other tools in the industry might forecast for new items. We'll find a similar item and we'll tell the AI look at this item and look at the relationships that it has to other products in the category, look at its relationships to various types of stores within the data set, and this new item is going to perform similar to it. Incorporating anything, everything from transferability to like item behavior, we can get to a really, a really good forecast for, for that sort of scenario. Steven, you have been a part of Hivory for a few months now. Can you tell me what is the biggest challenge that Hybrid Curate has faced 
and how has the team been able to work around it? Maybe there is something that retailers should be excited about? One of the biggest challenges we face at Hivery would be the question of item transferability and cannibalization. That's always been a big question in this industry of, of category management. And I'll say from past roles, a lot of times it's a it's a question and answer exercise that's led by a marketing team. As you might expect, a, a marketing team is is very attached to their brands, sometimes rightfully so, but they're passionate. They're passionate about what they do. They're passionate about the brand that they're building. And as such, a lot of times we see somewhat biased, sometimes not always uh, mathematically backed rates of incrementality or uniqueness of this item. I'm going to introduce this new flavor of deodorant, and it's going to double the sales of what I previously had with my single flavor. We never really had, I would say in the industry, something that I felt great about in terms of uh, what incrementality looks like when you're adding in new items. So it's something that uh, that we've been delivering now to customers. It's something that we continue to work on to make it better and better in the tool. That's the great thing about working with a disruptive product um, and a disruptive company like Hivery and like Curate is we get to move quick and we get to develop quickly. And as we continue to learn more and work with, with more and more customers, we get to improve the product. So I would say some of the work that we've done around product cannibalization and how incremental is your assortment is some of the best that I've seen in my time in, in category management. And I think looking at where we're going with developing it further and getting better at it, not only better results, but making it easier, making it more, more user-friendly, easy to communicate. I think all of those things are, are really exciting. Stephen, with our conversation coming to an end, what is one main takeaway that you would want someone to take from listening to this podcast? I would say the industry as a whole, retail that is, is changing really, really fast. I am not the expert in that, and I'm not the first one to say that. We all know it. But me as a practitioner of category management, I've been boots on the ground for 10 years. And my own observation is, as the the job is becoming more complex, the amount of data that we're receiving is becoming broader and deeper. We're all swimming in this big lake of data. <laughs> I think we all need to be doing our due diligence and seeking out better ways of doing things, more efficient ways of doing things. Again, I joined Hivery because I think this is the future, utilizing AI to manage these giant sets of data. Because as things are becoming more complex, as the data is becoming more complex, I don't want any of us to lose that part of the job where we're using our creative human brains to come up with great stories, actionable insights. Let's leave the data processing. Let's leave the math to computers. It's what they do really, really well. Let's keep the fun, creative stuff for ourselves. And to finish our conversation, surely I've asked you a lot of questions during our conversation, but I'm sure that there is something that you wish people would ask you more often. What is that question? I'm going to sidestep that a little bit because uh, there's a question that I get often doesn't confuse me because I understand where it's coming from, but I kind of disagree with the premise of the question. So the question that I get a lot of time from friends who aren't, you know, they're not accustomed to working with shopper data or guest data, whatever, whatever you want to call it at any given retailer. 
not accustomed to working with this really granular data about individuals who are shopping for products or where people are, what they're clicking on when they're surfing the web and things like that. The comment I get is, isn't, isn't it a little creepy? Big data is growing. Even in retail, we're not in the uh, social media, Facebook's part of the world where we're really getting into the granular data, but we do see and know a lot about what shoppers are doing around the world when they're buying things, what they're looking for, and gather a lot of insights on why they're doing these things. So yeah, the comment I get is like, isn't that a little creepy? Do you really want anybody knowing all this detail about what you're buying, where you're buying it? And uh, my response is no. You know what? I don't find it creepy. I work in the industry and I know enough to know, one, there's a lot of protection around you personally. So there's there's this degree of separation between the data and the individuals, but put that aside. But the thing that excites me is every time I go purchase a product at a store and I swipe my loyalty card or I know they're collecting my credit card information, one, I know it's protected, yes. But two, I feel like I'm casting a vote because there's someone on the other side of the desk like me that's seeing that as a line of data and that's that's a vote for this product should be in this store and should be should be prioritized because Steven's buying it and Steven wants to shop in this way and Steven wants to see these products on these websites. I am excited by the the opportunities to improve improve lives not only of practitioners of category management and people in the retail space but also just make shopping easier to make getting the things that I need to my home easier through powers of AI and analytics and better processes of doing category management. I think, I think that leads to an exciting future for all of us. Thank you for listening until the end of this podcast. If you would like to learn more about Hybrid Curate, navigate to hybrid.com forward slash curate. You can even request a live demo to see the power of AI for yourself. And till the next time, everyone.